Okay, so we are on Revelation chapter three and four. I'm four and five. I'm going to turn to Revelation chapter four. We'll look at this vision. After these things, I looked, and there was a door open in heaven. And the first voice that I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here, and I will show you what must happen after these things. Immediately, I was in spirit. And look, a throne was standing in heaven, and someone was sitting on the throne. The one who was sitting there looked like a jasper stone and a ruby. Around the throne, there was a rainbow that looked like an emerald. Also around the throne were 24 thrones, and sitting on those thrones were 24 elders dressed in white garments with gold crowns on their heads. Out of the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and crashes of thunder. In front of the throne, seven flaming lamps were burning, which were the seven spirits of God. Also in front of the throne was something resembling a glassy sea, which was like, like crystal. In the middle, near the throne and around the throne, there were four living creatures full of eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second living creature was like an ox. The third living creature had a face like a man. And the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. Each one of the four living creatures had six wings, and the wings were full of eyes all around and underneath. Day and night, without pause, they kept saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and who is and who is coming. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him and who sits on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders bow down before him who sits on the throne. They worship the one who lives forever and ever and lay down their crowns in front of his throne as they say, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive the glory and the honor and the power for you have created all things, and because of your will, they existed and were created. Okay, so chapter four begins this second section of Revelation, and it contains a, a series, uh, the first in a series of visions that continue through this vision of New Jerusalem. So John is seeing God's throne where our future is determined and guided. Uh, and many of the visions that we're going to see in this chapter uh, are repeated elsewhere in the book, but they're also the repetition of things we've seen earlier in scripture. Uh, verse one there, we can see what's happening to the church on earth. After these things I looked and there was a door open to heaven. So, you know, if you look at what's happening here on earth, what scares you right now of what you see in the month of September and October of 2021? What's scary here on earth? The government. The government. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We don't have to go too deep on, on that. What else? Oh, I know that. You're jumping ahead, Larry. But what else is scary, though? I, I think because um, more and more people are really getting into celebrating Halloween. And it just, that's just my opinion. Okay. And all the garbage that goes with that. Just, I think it's kind of scary. Okay. Uh, 
uh, celebrating Halloween. It's kind of scary. Or I saw on Facebook uh, people posting last week uh, for Daughter's Day, the pictures of the daughter, and then pictures of the sons for Son's Day, and then people posting the next day uh, of I'm not posting anything for your made-up holidays. You know, but we get caught up in all of those earthly things. What else? The spread of the Muslim religion. Yeah, the spread of the Muslim religion. And the reason I bring that up is though uh, what we see here on earth is scary, what we see in heaven should not be scary. And it's not scary because of uh, what's, what's going on in heaven, that Jesus is sitting on his throne and he's working everything out for our good. So I've got a, a picture up here then of the 24 elders sitting on the throne and then the four living creatures. And we'll talk about the four creatures. Who do you think these 24 elders are? Because again, what we're seeing here in Revelation is all picture language. It's like looking at a picture book, but it's with, with words. So you have to put it in your imagery and this imagery in your mind. What is Jesus, who's giving this vision to John and then to give to us, what do the 24 elders represent? 12 apostles. Okay, 12 apostles. 12 there you go. And uh, the 12 tribes of Israel and then the 12 apostles. And so you've kind of got uh, the, the 24, those of the Old and New Testaments. They are God's spiritual Israel. So the number 12 and its multiples in Revelation usually has something to do with the church. So here you see the, the full church, right? You see the church of the Old Testament pictured in the 12 tribes of Israel. You see the church of the New Testament pictured in the 12 apostles. And then you put them together. It's the complete church. And we'll be looking at the living creatures in a moment. Verse six, the sea is described as a glass sea or a sea of glass. Why might that be a wonderful picture for the first century Christians? A calm sea, sea of glass. Well, think about the Jews. Were the Jews seafaring people? No, not at all. You know, they had the Sea of Galilee, but that's just a little lake. Uh, but they had the Mediterranean Sea, and, you know, it's easy to get shipwrecked there. Paul talks about being shipwrecked a number of times. Uh, so you could easily die in a storm. And then Pastor Lightning brought this up in our podcast, something I hadn't heard before. What empire from the Jews viewpoint, what empire was across the sea? Rome. The Roman Empire. We were talking about the government being scary for us in 21st century America. That was scary for them in first century uh, Israel and elsewhere. 
And so across the sea, you've got the government, which is very oppressive to them and will be persecuting them. And so both of those images, I think, are here. And there's nothing to be afraid of. Uh, you know, think of if you're out on Lake Michigan when it gets really bad, uh, really windy and stormy, it's dangerous. I did have a nice, very nice conversation with Pastor Westra, uh, whom we called on Wednesday night to be our, to be our second pastor here. And in the middle of our conversation, he said that, uh, he goes, I have three boats, you know, a speed boat and a pontoon boat. And I forget what the other boat is. <laughs> he said, yeah, my wife says I have a problem. Cause I'm thinking, well, what guy needs three boats? But that's coming from a guy that owns like five bikes. So, uh, but he said, yeah, you know, we like taking the boat out on the lake here. And I said, well, I know you're not really sure where we're seeing is, but we're by a really big lake. It'd be really good for boats. It's even kind of like a great lake. And he's, he is laughing uh, to use, you know, those boats out there. All right. The four living creatures. So here's where I want you to turn to Ezekiel chapter one. Uh, Ezekiel chapter 1, we're going to go to 26 through 28, so page 1234 in your EHV Bible. Above the dome that was over their heads, there was something that appeared to be a sapphire that was shaped like a throne. Seated on that throne, like form, there was a figure that looked like a man. I saw something like the gleam of glowing metal with fire in it and around it. It extended upward from what appeared to be the man's waist. Below what appeared to be his waist, I saw what appeared to be fire, and a bright light surrounded him. The bright light that surrounded him looked like the rainbow that is in the clouds on a rainy day. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. When I saw this, I fell on my face, and I heard a voice speaking. So that goes to the opening verses of John's vision in chapter 4. You see the Son of Man, who is the Son of God, Jesus, sitting on his throne. Again, that was already pictured in Ezekiel. So again, what I'm showing you here is that what Jesus is giving to John isn't anything new. It's the same, uh, same vision, just repeated. Now go to uh, verse 5 of chapter 1. A little bit longer section, verses 5 through 12, and then verse 18. We're going to look at these, uh, these four living creatures. Verse 5. In the middle of it, I saw what looked like four living creatures. This is what they looked like. Each one of them had a human appearance, but each one had four faces, and each of them had four wings. Each of their legs was straight, and their feet were like a calf's hoof, and they gleamed like polished bronze. They had human hands under their wings and all four of their sides. All four of them had faces and wings. Their wings were touching one another. The creatures did not turn from side to side as they moved, but each one faced straight ahead. This is what their faces looked like. Each one had a face like a man's face. On the right side of their heads, all four of them had a face like a lion. On the left side, all four of them had a face like an ox. All four of them also had a face like an eagle. Those were their faces. Their wings were stretched upward. Each of them had one pair of wings, which touched the wings of each of the cherubs next to it, and another pair of wings, which covered their bodies. 
Each one faced straight ahead as it moved. They went in whatever direction the spirit wanted to go. They did not turn as they moved ahead. And then verse 18. As for their rims, they were high and intimidating, and their rims were full of eyes all the way around, all four of them. So give me a description of these four living creatures in Ezekiel. Pretty scary. These are freaky looking creatures in that each one of them has four faces. Okay, they each have four faces and uh, we're gonna look at next uh, what they also look like, but they're the four living creatures that have four faces and then they each have four wings. And notice, why don't they have to move their heads to see where they're going? Yeah, the four ways they can just go, right? Uh, so, what do you think these four living creatures represent with those four faces? The world. The world. Why would it have an eagle face? No, just think of creation. An eagle face. Birds. Why would it have a Human face, man, humans. Why would it have the face of an ox? <clears throat> Domestic animals and the face of a lion, wild animals. And so there, what God is representing, not that these are uh, four living creatures that we're actually gonna see in heaven, maybe they are, but more than likely they're a picture language of all of creation. Uh, now, how are they different from the ones that, G, that John sees in Revelation? Four wings and the ones that Yep. So these in Ezekiel have four wings. The ones in Revelation have six wings. What about their faces? How many faces do they have in Revelation? Just one. Just one. They're the same faces, but now only one. There's an, a reason why we say that this is a symbolism. So it doesn't have to be exactly the same. Uh, these four faces of these living creatures, where have you seen them in church art? Just the faces. I saw it Saturday when I was at a wedding down at... Bethany in, in Kenosha, which is now New Life in Kenosha. They have they had the faces on the doors walking into the church. Well, Matthew is pictured as the first living creature. So which was the first one? Uh, I just lost that. The lion. So Matthew... The gospel writer is pictured as a lion. And the second creature's face? Yeah. The ox. So that's Mark. The man is Luke. And then the eagle is John. So uh, what early Christian uh, artists and so forth did is then they took 
those faces of those four living creatures in Revelation 4, and then they put them as the faces of the four gospel writers. So when you walk into, uh, for example, Bethany in Kenosha, their sanctuary on their doors, uh, very similar to the doors that we have walking into the uh, Olive Street entrance at our church. Imagine where it's just a glass pane like this. They had colored stained glass, and then they had Ma Matthew and Mark, and the next, next two doors, they had Luke and John. Deb? Could you Yes. Uh, Luke would be the man. Mark is the ox. And then Matthew is the, the lion. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Then go to Ezekiel chapter 10. Verses 11 through 15. So Ezekiel 10, page 1244. Thank you. All right, Ezekiel 10, verse 11. The cherubim could move in any of the four directions toward which one of them faced without turning as they moved. They went straight ahead in the direction they faced, never turning from side to side, their entire body, their back, their hands, their wings, and the wheels were full of eyes all around. I mean, the wheels that belonged to the four of them. As for the wheels, they were called wheel work in my hearing. Each one of the cherubim had four faces. One face was the face of a cherub. The second face was the face of a man. The third was the face of a lion. And the fourth was, a, was the face of an eagle. Then the cherubim rose. These were the living creatures that I had seen by the Kabar camp Canal. So what... Uh, additional uh, picture does Ezekiel see on these cherubim, these angels, these four living creatures. Not only do they have four faces and these uh, four wings, what else? Wheels. Wheels and? Yep, they have a cherub instead of a lion. And they have, they have eyes all over the place. Okay, these are these are freaky looking creatures. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, here's another picture. So this is the four living creatures. So this is a woodcut of Jesus uh, sitting on his throne, and you've got wheels all around the throne, so they can go in all directions. And then what these four living creatures in Ezekiel have, that they have wheels all around. So they can go in every direction. They don't have to turn. And not only do the creatures have eyes, but the wheels have eyes. Okay. So again, but what do you think the eyes are representing? Yeah, the, uh, yeah, the, seeing everything and then they can go anywhere. Kind of like, uh, I, I think it's more not that God sees everything here, it's that God gives his angels the opportunity to see things because they're everywhere and they can be there like that too. They're living in the spiritual realm and they can move real quickly with these wings and the wheels. 
And then the last one I want you to look at is Ezekiel 10, uh, starting with verse 20. These were the living creatures that I had seen beneath the God of Israel at the Kabar Canal, and I now knew that they were cherubim. Each one had four faces, and each had four wings, with something like the hands of a man underneath their wings. The faces looked like the faces that I had seen by the Kabar Canal, canal exactly the same. Each one went straight ahead. Uh, so here Ezekiel clearly identifies them as cherubs, and that's what the living creatures in Revelation are. So as we'll see, these powerful angels are God's servants who carry out his will and his work. Why do the elders, now we're back in Revelation, why do the elders and the cherubs praise the Lord? He's worthy. And they're praising him. And so the next time that you're in worship, with your fellow saints here, think about that you you are joining with your fellow saints at the uh, you know if you're here you're at the worshiping with your Caledonia campus you're worshiping with your brothers and sisters at St John's and at First Evan and other churches in the Wisconsin and elsewhere, but you're also joining with the saints in heaven, the twenty four elders, and you're joining with all of the angels that they're excited to hear your pastor's sermon. They're excited to join in singing praises with you. And so just think about that. It's not just, and this is one of the reasons why we don't just want people worshiping uh, through their computers and their TVs. You know, when those things become necessary, that's a great tool. But we want them to be with their brothers and sisters in Christ in the sanctuary because that's a reminder that we're worshiping a God who's greater than us and uh, the whole church on earth and in heaven. It does. Yeah. Yeah. Although, uh, so at our Bible study on Sunday here, when I was going through the new, new hymnal, which we, we, by the way, we passed on Wednesday night in our voters meeting to, to purchase the new hymnals for us. And uh, Paul Patterson raised his hands. We were talking about the hymns and he said, I got this message from someone on Facebook. So I'm just asking this for a friend. And Oh my goodness, because he's making it up. He said, uh, which version of Jerusalem, the golden, are we going to be singing in the new hymnal? Is it the right one or the pagan one? And I knew, and I just started laughing. Because he and I have had a, a running discussion, disagreement over the years of which version of Jerusalem the Golden is better and which one we're going to be singing in heaven, therefore. Because he likes Jerusalem the Golden that's in Christian worship. Uh, it's called Ewing. I prefer the Thaxted version that's in the supplement. And uh, he, he calls it pagan because it's called it was first a it was a pagan song to Jupiter and so forth. But uh, I, I told him the reason I bring it up, Larry, is that I said, well, maybe Paul, in your side of heaven, they'll sing Ewing version of Jerusalem the Golden. But on the good side where Jesus is, then we're going to be singing the Thaxted version. So, but we're going to be singing. Yep. Anything else in Revelation four? 
But the big thing that to focus on that Jesus has the power, he's sitting on a stone. We're going to see that in this next chapter and that he has the four living creatures and the elders, the Christian church in heaven and on earth that are praising him. All right, go back to Revelation 5 then. And I saw a scroll in the right hand of him who was who sat on the throne with writing on the front and on the back sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice who is, who is worthy to open the scroll by breaking its seals. No one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep bitterly because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. Then one of the elders said to me, Stop weeping. Look, the lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed and is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Let's, talk, let's just stop there for a moment. When John writes, I saw, or in other translations, I looked, that's a key to you that he's saying it's another vision. So it's a, a different viewpoint. Uh, What's the point of these seven seals? First of all, I guess, what's the purpose of a scroll? Yeah, by the writing that's on it. So uh, Ezekiel 2, I'll, I'll read this. It's just a couple of short verses. Again, knowing that these visions that John is receiving are the same kind of visions that Ezekiel, Daniel, Zechariah, and so forth had. Uh, Ezekiel chapter 2, verse 9, Ezekiel writes, Then I looked, and I saw a hand stretched out toward me, and in it there was a rolled-up scroll. He unrolled it in front of me, and there was writing on both sides. Written on it was laments, groaning, and woe. Then he said to me, Son of man, eat what you've received. Eat the scroll, and then go speak to the house of Israel. I opened my mouth and he fed me the scroll. So here is this scroll or this book. And it has seven seals. And what we're going to be seeing over the next few chapters is the opening of these seals. Uh, and the picture I have here is a very familiar one that's up on the screen. Deb, do you recognize this? Yeah, it's from her church at St. John's. Uh, so it's, it's a very familiar and ancient picture of the lamb sitting on the, the book with the seals. Do you recognize this one? This is up at the Caledonia campus, one of the stained glass windows. Again, same thing. I tried finding a picture at first Evan. I couldn't get a clear one, but they have the same, uh, same picture of the lamb sitting on the book, because that's our version of the scroll, instead of a rolled up scroll, it's the book uh, with the seven seals. And that's right up in front uh, above their altar area. Here's one I found. Kind of freaky looking, right? But the lamb with the scroll, and then you see the seven seals on it. Instead of a book, you have the seals. And uh, we'll look at what the meaning of the seven eyes and the seven horns. So the angel poses this question 
what does he want the people on earth to be able to do? Open the seals. But what's the problem? No one's worthy. So is that bad news or good news for God's people? That no one can open these seals. If no one can open it, it seems like no one's in control. But the good news is who cannot open the seal? Satan. Satan. It seems, again, you have to think about, uh, you know, Irene said before, you know, the first thing that came up is, you know, what, you know, what are we concerned about in our culture right now? It's the government becoming more, taking more and more power, becoming more tyrannical, like every other government in the history of the world. And that was exactly what was going on in the first century, that the Roman government, which took over for the Greeks, which had taken over for the Persians, which had taken over for the Babylonians, it was one long system of really the same kind of government being tyrannical and, uh, and persecuting God's people. And Satan working alongside of those governments that persecute God's people. And it seems like Satan is in control. But what uh, Jesus is portraying to his people is Satan is not in control. He can't open these seals, but only one can. So uh, that's the verse five. One of the elders said to me, stop weeping. Look, the lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of David has triumphed and is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. So I found this picture. I thought this was really cool. What do you see there? Reflection. Yeah, and what's in the reflection? No, it's hard to see. It's a lion. Yeah. How can, so, who is the solution that no one on earth can open the seal? Who can open the seal? Jesus. Jesus. Okay. And who is he? Look at those verses. He is the lion from the tribe of Judah. What does the lion symbolize? Strength. Strength. Power. Uh, how many of you have read C.S. Lewis's uh, the Chronicles of Narnia. Oh my goodness, really? You saw the movie? Okay. No, it's a good movie. The first one's really good. The other movies weren't so good, but the first one. How is, uh, how is the, well, who is the hero of that movie and that book? The lion, Aslan. Who is Aslan portraying? Who is, it, who is he symbolized? Jesus. And so, because I remember when that movie came out, uh, I told, I, I, I preached about it, or at least he used it as an illustration, probably for Christ the King Sunday. And I explained, you know, the plot of the movie. And then uh, that in that movie, Aslan comes because uh, to defeat the, oh, the, the witch, I forget what, the winter witch. And 
You've got two boys and two girls, brothers and sisters. They represent all of humanity. And, you know, they one's been tempted and the witch, uh, she gets all of her evil mystical creatures and they're going to fight all the woodland creatures and the humans and so forth. But Aslan gives up his life. He allows himself to be killed on an altar, his head to be shaved and so forth. Well, that's a picture of Jesus, isn't it? laying down his life on the altar of the cross and everyone's weeping except he's resurrected and comes back and that's jesus rising from the dead and what c.s lewis did is you know he's portraying that in picture language much like revelation and i remember preaching on it and i and i told people uh you know i'm going to tell you kind of the end of the movie and I remember one of the moms saying, we haven't gone seen the, mo seen the movie yet. You, you just uh, destroyed the whole plot line. I said, that book's been out for 50 years. You should have read the book. So, uh, the Chronicles of Narnia, um, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe is the first one. That whole, the whole set of seven books of the Chronicles of Narnia are this picture language that C.S. Lewis has of Christianity in heaven, but it's clearest in that first book. Uh, what about the stump from the, the shoot from the stump? Who is that? And where do you see that picture language elsewhere? Yeah, the root of David. What does it have to do with Jesus? Yeah, the, what's that? Jesse is the root of David, but Jesus, yeah, it comes from the stump or the root of David, David's family line. Uh, I explained this last week in our podcast uh, that Matthew, because, you know, first chapter of Matthew is kind of boring because it's all names, so-and-so begat, so-and-so and so forth. But what I explained in the podcast was that Matthew is giving us Jesus' line from, uh, from Joseph, from the father, all the way back to David, all the way back to Abraham. Mark doesn't talk about Jesus' birth line. He gets right to the baptism and go. Luke, we have the familiar account in Luke chapter 2 of Jesus going and being born as a babe in David's town of Bethlehem. And it is really the birth of Jesus from the line of Mary. And he connects Jesus being born of the virgin. John's, John starts, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. John, in his gospel, is giving us the birth of Jesus from God the Father's point of view. So Matthew from Joseph, Luke from Mary, John from, uh, from heaven's point of view. So just... Pastor Lightning hadn't thought of that before, so I'll taught him something too. But it's the line of David. And then the lamb, what does the lamb symbolize? Yeah, offering, sacrifice. So again, so here's a, a painting from Luther's era. Uh, so this is picturing then the the elders of the old testament the elders of the new testament on the right and left uh, god in heaven you see the holy spirit up 
and surrounded by a rainbow. He's pictured as a dove. Uh, you see the lamb on the altar and then the angels around him and then God's people in the forefront. So what impact do these verses have on you as you view our future? When people are really, you know, they're nervous, they're scared right now, uh, they're upset with each other, people are just plain grumpy, okay? You know, if it's that way in their home, yeah, it is, but other things, but, they're, but it's in their home, it's in their workplace, and it filters into the church, what does this part of Revelation help with that? Well, it's comforting and no fear. Why? No fear of dying. Well, comfort. Yeah, where's where's the comfort? It's because this isn't so much about us as being saints. Who is the focus on? It's on Jesus. We have no reason to be afraid. We have no reason to be worried because Jesus is sitting on his throne. He is the sacrificial lamb who gave his life up for us. And he is the lion of the tribe of Judah that's in control. And he's going to work everything out for our good. All right, let's finish up this chapter. Worthy is the lamb. Verse six. And they saw a lamb standing in the center near the throne, surrounded by the four living creatures and the 24 elders. The lamb seemed to have been slain, and he had seven horns and had seven eyes. These were the seven spirits of God that have been sent out into all the world. So we'll go back to that picture of uh, Jesus with the seven eyes and seven horns. The lamb came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when the lamb took the scroll... The four living creatures and the 24 elders bowed down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and a gold bowl full of incense. These are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And you bought us for God with your blood out of every tribe and language and people and nation. You made them to be a kingdom and priests for our God and they will reign on the earth. And I looked and I heard the voice of many angels who were around the throne and around the living creatures and the elders, their number was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands upon thousands. With a loud voice, they were saying, worthy is a lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. I also heard every creature that is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. The four living creatures said, amen. And the elders bowed down and worshipped. All right. Can we go back to the number seven? Yeah. What does, what, what does, I, I'm not sure what the seven cities With the like seven eyes and so forth? Yeah, well, I mean, they talk about seven houses. The seven seals. What is the seven? Yeah, so seven is uh, as a number number for God, plus four, which is the number of earth, like the four, four directions of the earth. You have four living creatures picturing the earth and so forth. And so you add that up and you have seven. And seven is often then the number of God in Revelation. And 
where you see that is like Revelation 13, where we get to the mark of the beast. What number is the mark of the beast? 666. It's trying to be seven, but it's not. And you'll see that with other pictures with like nine horns instead of 10, you know, six instead of seven, because what Jesus is portraying is the devil wants to look like Jesus and the church on earth, but it's not. So it's a counterfeit. And so when you see six, but it's not quite seven, nine, but it's not quite 10, that's the picture of uh, Satan and the apostate church trying to appear like Christ and his Christian church. The seven spirits of God. The seven spirits of God are the is that's a picture of the Holy Spirit and his sevenfold gifts of, of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Galatians 2, 22. I had to memorize that when I was a vicar. I preached on that. So yeah. Uh, I just throw that out there to impress people once in a while. How is how is a Regular person hasn't gone to seminary. Supposed to realize that, but if I just read this, yeah. <laughs> what you say, Larry? Yeah, go to your Bible study. I think it's just picturing. That's a good question. It's just picking up all of these things through the rest of Scripture, and then you kind of figure these, you know, figuring them all out, just like. Uh, you know, other pastors and professors have done in the past. And you learn from each other. Like I learned some of these things from Pastor Lightnin just doing the Bible study together with the podcast, and he learned some things from me. Uh, and, and speaking of that, then one commentator pointed out that some preachers in Revelation have eyes and some have horns. But Jesus is the only one who has eyes and horns. Why is that comforting? What do a horn symbolize? Power. Power. Yeah. I read a story the other day about uh, just how crazy our world was, is getting that a, a mountain goat, a ram, killed a bear. Okay, probably just you know, with its sharp horns and so forth, just got it in just the right spot. Okay, but it has horns. It's it's powerful. Horns are pictures of power. What do the eyes symbolize? All seeing, all knowing. So only Jesus knows what to do and through his spirit has the power to do it. And so a picture as freaky as this one is of Jesus with seven eyes and seven horns is picturing and and again to irene's point you and i are so far removed from the farm and this kind of language these are images that the the first century christians would have picked up on even if they're far removed from an agrarian society they know eyes symbolize sight uh, and horns symbolize power they know that a lamb symbolizes sacrifice a lion symbolizes power you just were picked up on that way easier than we do so why can we sleep easy tonight based on this imagery here 
That's kind of all under control. Yeah. We're the ones that are out of control. Yeah, yeah. He's got it all under control. We're the ones out of control. And he has made us to be kingdom and priests to serve him. He rules everything for our good. Uh, and then notice why, why is Jesus worthy of praise? Notice how many are praising him. How many is 10,000 times 10,000 angels? 100 million. 100 million angels. Then again, that's symbolic. And thousands upon thousands. And they are praising uh, Jesus, the Lamb, who is sitting on the throne, along with the elders, that's symbolizing the Christian church on earth and in heaven, and the four living creatures, all of creation. Why are they worshiping Jesus? Notice the song, verse 12. He's worthy. Why is he worthy? Yeah, he is a lamb who was slain. So let's go to this picture. So this is uh, by one of our uh, Wells artists. Uh, this is a banner. I've I've always encouraged us to get this banner for our church. We never have. Uh, no, I some. Yeah, and I understand why. But the, but what's the image? Yeah. In the one you, you sent me, I didn't really see the blood of the continents, so I'm not sure. Yeah, but what's the what's the uh, imagery here? He died. he died for the world, and and just the way the blood spills out to to make the seven continents of the earth is that's pretty powerful imagery. It says a lot. Yeah, it's pretty gross. Yeah. But worthy is the Lamb who was slain. And it struck me when we do when I do the liturgy, you know, sometimes a run on sentences like "Worthy is the Lamb who was slain uh, to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and wisdom and honor and glory and blessing." I'm thinking. Come on, this is a run-on sentence. You got to put commas in there, take out those ands. And then I realized, oh, the people who wrote the Christian worship hymnal, they're just quoting Revelation. So I better take my shut up about my commas. You know, this is this is scripture. Why is he worthy? Uh, but notice the song too. Uh, like I said, we're we're getting a new hymnal. But what's, what's so important about our Lutheran hymnals, whether it's Luth the Lutheran hymnal, whether it's the Christian worship we have now, whether it's the Christian worship we'll have in two months, what's so different about our hymns and our Lutheran hymnals versus other praise songs you might hear in, on the radio or other churches? Yeah, but but others might but other songs they're about the praise to Jesus, praise him, praise him, and but what's the difference? Well, he has the liturgy, he has different ceremonies that he Yeah, but I'm thinking just like the the songs that we sing. 
Yeah. That tells a story, George. I was going to say that it seemed to come from Bible verses. Yeah. And if you listen to songs on the radio, a lot of times it's about me, me and love, and it's about how I feel in my relationship to Jesus. As opposed to listen to the songs that we sing that are in our hymnal, there are a few that are about our response. But most of it, it's like this. It's why is Jesus worthy of our praise? And just focus on that. And, and think of the reason when we sing glory to God in the highest. It lays out everything uh, from start to end of Jesus uh, Jesus coming to earth because we're sinners, him suffering and dying and him ascending into heaven and just lays out in, you know, probably a 30 to, 30 to 60 second song that we sing every Sunday, that glory to God in the highest, it lays out right like that. Why is he worthy of our praise? And then again, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. All right, any questions on... Chapter five. Okay. So chapters four and five set the foundation for revelation. So chapter four gives us a vision of God's throne, the center of power and the activity in the universe. Chapter five gives us a vision of Jesus, the lamb who was slain and the lion who rules over God's kingdom forever. So Jesus lets us know that we are part of his kingdom and we're ruling with him no matter what the future may hold. And so then what we're going to be looking at, and then you can read ahead uh, for next week's class, is uh, the vision of the seven seals. As uh, Jesus then opens the first four seals, then the fifth seal, the sixth seal, and then before he uh, finishes with that last seal in chapter eight, then we'll look at the church on earth and the church in heaven. So again, like I've said before, revelation is really the same thing over and over again. But now we're looking at it, uh, well, we just looked at Jesus on the throne. But now when we get to Revelation 6 and we see all of these seals being opened, which are going to be uh, wrath uh, on God's, or on people on earth, then uh, you look at the church on earth. And we're going to look at the church in heaven. Later on, we're going to see the seven seals turn into seven bowls. It's the same vision, but just now it's intensified. The, the wrath of God is greater, but now the seven bowls are turned more on the unbelievers. And then the saints, us, are spared. So again, it's just reviewing it over and over again. But then the, the last thing I want to leave you with is that whole point is as troubled as we are in our world, whether it's COVID or the government or your own personal health problems or money problems or whatever it is, as Christians, you can sleep easy at night because Jesus is the lamb who was sacrificed. He is the lion who is all powerful and he's sitting on his throne. Amen. From uh, your 